Today we continue our brief series looking at the Emmanuel prophecy from Matthew chapter 1. If you recall yesterday, if you were with us, we did a little background both on uh, on the actual prediction there in Matthew chapter 1 where the angel told Joseph what was going to be happening with his uh, fiance, but we also looked at 1 Peter and got some background on what the angels and the prophets themselves were aware of, or rather weren't aware of, as they saw and observed God's purposes and plans as they played out. Today, we're going to go back and begin a journey through Isaiah 7 through 9 over the next few days to see what the broader context of this prediction that the virgin will give birth to a son and or a child and his name will be called Emmanuel. Whenever the New Testament quotes from the Old Testament, I think sometimes we think that these apostles inspired by the Holy Spirit just sort of randomly uh, grab a, a text from the Old Testament that seems to say what they want to say and, uh, and they bring it forward. But that's not at all what's going on when the New Testament quotes the Old Testament. So when we see uh, the angel predicting or, or explaining that Isaiah prophesied about the coming of Emmanuel, any Jewish audience, such as Mary and Joseph and the recipients of Matthew's gospel, would have understood the larger picture, the larger background. So I want to make sure that we understand that as well. So that's what we're going to look at uh, this week. Welcome, everyone. I'm glad you're with us. Good morning, Jenny. I see uh, see your greeting there. Anybody else who uh, is on and want to say hap- uh, good morning to us, we'd be happy to, uh, to see that. Um, if you're new with us, my name is Doug, and I'm a Bible teacher. I serve with Cross to Crown Ministries and the New Covenant School of Theology. And we gather here Monday through Friday, 7.30 a.m. Mountain Time, and we study the Word of God. And uh, like I said, we are working our way through this uh, prophecy of the coming child, Emmanuel. So glad you're with us. And I'd like to remind you as we get started here that today is a good day. Today is a really, really good day. Good morning, Karen. It's a good day, isn't it, Karen? Are you out on your, on your walk as usual? It's a good day to be out on a walk it's a good day to be home with your kids. It's a good day to be at work. It's a good day to do whatever the Lord has called you to do because the Lord Jesus reigns over heaven and earth, and therefore it is a good day. So let us declare that together aloud. I'll say my part, then you say yours, and then we will look at the Word of God together. So you ready? This is a good day because this is the day the Lord has made. Did you say your part? We will rejoice and be glad in it. I hope you did. All right, so let's dig into Isaiah chapter 7. It begins with these words. Now it came about in the days of Ahaz, the son of Jotham, the son of Uzziah, king of Judah, that Rezin, the king of Aram, and Pekah, the son of Ramaliah, king of Israel, went up to Jerusalem to wage war against it, but could not conquer it. So there's the setting. Uh, we're, we're talking about the northern kingdom, the southern kingdom. Now, in case you're you know, not uh, fully up on your Old Testament history, it's good to remember that uh, when Solomon led Israel, remember Solomon was, Solomon was King David's son, Solomon led Israel 
into great idolatry and sin. And God, in his anger at that, said, I'm going to rip the kingdom from you. Now, because of his promise to David that there would always be a descendant of his sitting on the throne, he didn't take the entire kingdom away from David's house. But he took what, had, what later became known as the northern kingdom. So 10 tribes of Israel, maybe you've heard of the lost 10 tribes of Israel. Well, that is what, uh, when you read the Old Testament prophets, that is what is referred to as Israel. Let me, uh, let me pull up here a map and show you. This area up here, if you can see it, and if you're listening to this uh, later on a podcast, then you'll just have to picture it in your mind or come back and look at it later. But uh, all of this area here in blue, these are the, the northern tribes or what's, what's called the kingdom of Israel. When, so when you're reading through the prophets, you've got the, uh, the northern kingdom, the kingdom of Israel. Sometimes it's called Ephraim. Sometimes it's called Jacob, which can be very confusing as you're reading. But these are the 10 tribes of the north. Two tribes were left down here in what is called Judah. So again, you're reading through the prophets, you're reading through First and Second Kings and Chronicles, and you encounter Judah. That's the southern kingdom here. This was the tribe of Judah and Benjamin. So when you see, uh, see Israel and Judah, that's what we're talking about here. So Ahaz was the king down here of Judah. Okay. Now, in what I just read for you, uh, Pekah was the, uh, the king of Israel, the northern kingdom. See that? So that's what's going on. So back to the text then. Ahaz, the son of Jotham, the son of Uzziah, king of Judah, and Rezin, the king of Aram, and Pekah, the son of Ramalia. Let me take you back one more time to the, to the map and show you. So Aram is this area up here. So Aram uh, and, and Israel and Judah are the three kingdoms that we're talking about. So if you recall, if you know Isaiah chapter 6, it's that glorious passage where in the, king that, in the year that the king Uzziah died, Isaiah, this prophet, gets a, a grand vision of the Lord sitting on his throne. So that was about 25 years prior to chapter 7. So from the turn of chapter 6 to chapter 7, there's about 25 years that have passed. Uzziah, of course, is dead. His son Jotham reigned for a while. And then Ahaz, the grandson of Uzziah, reigns. Uzziah was a good king. And he reigned during the golden years. Uh, well, I shouldn't say that. Solomon reigned of the golden years. But uh, under Uzziah's reign, Israel experienced great prosperity and blessing, and they became complacent. Uzziah was a pretty good king, and he served the Lord pretty faithfully, but uh, he led Israel into some complacency. Jotham, his son, when he reigned, was also a pretty good king, but also somewhat complacent. And then now we get to Ahaz, and Ahaz was a wicked king. Ahaz did not believe he did not trust the Lord. He did not worship the Lord faithfully. He uh, created all kinds of uh, high places for Israel to sacrifice to false gods. He uh, committed the great atrocity of burning his sons to a demon god. So he was a wicked, wicked king, this Ahaz. So here he is reigning over Judah, 
not trusting the Lord. And these two kings of Aram and Israel come and wage war against Jerusalem. And what had happened is, let me let me take you back to the map here. What had happened was uh, Assyria was bearing down and expanding their, their empire. And they were bearing down on Israel and Aram. So these two uh, groups united together to try to to thwart the uh, Assyrian kingdom. And they came down to Judah and said, join us so we can stave off the Assyrians. Well, Judah wouldn't do it. And so now uh, the king of Aram, the king of Israel decided they are going to conquer Judah. And, you know, basically, if you won't become our allies, then we'll just take you over and we'll replace you, Ahaz, with someone else. And then we'll have, uh, we'll assimilate your kingdom into ours and we'll thwart the Assyrian uh, siege here. So that was their goal. And they had come against Ahaz already and uh, did a lot of damage, but they weren't able to fully conquer Judah. So that's what's happening. So... It was reported here, verse 2, it was reported to the house of David, that's to Ahaz the king, that the Arameans have camped in Ephraim, and his heart, that is Ahaz's heart, and the hearts of his people shook as the trees of the forest shake with the wind. So Ahaz is terrified as he sees these two armies coming down once again to try to overtake him. So the Lord said to Isaiah, Go out now to meet Ahaz, you and your son, Shear Joshub, at the end of the conduit of the upper pool on the highway to the Fuller's Field. So a couple things to note here. First of all, uh, probably King Ahaz is out here at the, uh, the upper pool serving the water supply. You can imagine uh, the kingdom there, uh, crucial to existence for a people is water. Well, Israel, Jerusalem, if you remember, was a city up on a hill, and its water supply was coming from an upper pool, and it was an above-ground conduit at this point. Later on, uh, they would create an underground waterway, but or at this point, the waterway is above ground. So the king here is wisely trying to discern, uh, how do I protect our water supply, and how could we maybe shut off water? lower down for these other, uh, these armies so that they don't have water because it was a crucial, to both the invading army and to his kingdom to have water. So he's there checking all this out and God sends Isaiah with his son, Sheer Joshub. Interesting name, huh? If you're, uh, if any of you are with child and are thinking about names, maybe you want to grab this one. We will see a little bit later tomorrow that uh, there's another name that uh, Isaiah chooses that is even greater. Uh, Sheer Joshub means a remnant will return. Now, we know that nothing happens by accident, and we know that certainly nothing in the scripture happens by accident. So God sends Isaiah to King Ahaz and says, take your son, a remnant shall return and go talk to him. So you can see the picture here. Isaiah walks up. Hey, king, I have brought my son with me. We have a message from the Lord. I brought my son and his name is a remnant will return. Now, if you're the king, what do you hear in that? You know what a remnant is, right? A remnant is, is uh, something that remains after the rest is removed. Well, it could be interpreted two different ways, couldn't it? O king, as you look out at these nations that are coming on you, these two armies, all that's going to be left is a remnant. 
you're going to be almost utterly destroyed. Or it could mean, don't be afraid, there will be a remnant. Uh, God is not going to allow you to be fully conquered. Well, here's what Isaiah's message is for the king from the Lord. Take care and be calm. Have no fear. Do not be faint-hearted. Uh, does that remind you of anything? Those of you who are watching online here, I see a few other names. Uh, Bashir Yakub, welcome. I don't uh, know if we have met before. Glad to have you with us. Keith, good morning. Uh, if any of you can think of this, take care, be calm, have no fear, do not be faint-hearted. If that reminds you of anything, stick it in the chat. I'd love to see what, what comes to mind as you, as you hear this. These are the words of comfort coming from the Lord to Ahaz. And he says, I want you to be calm. Don't be afraid. And notice how he refers to these two kings of the, that are coming against him. These two stubs of smoldering firebrands. They're just some embers burning. They're not a huge fire. This is not an inferno to be afraid of. They're just a few logs that are, that are aflame, but they're going to go out. Do not be afraid on account of the fierce anger of Rezin and Aram and the son of Ramalia. Yes, they are fierce. They are angry. They are looking to destroy you. Look, because Aram and Ephraim and the son of Ramalia has planned evil against you, saying, let us go up against Judah and terrorize it and make for ourselves a breach in its walls and set up the son of Tabil as king in the midst of it. That's what they were planning. But the Lord says, it shall not stand, nor shall it come to pass. So Keith says it reminds him of Solomon. Uh, good morning, Bashir. First time you're joining us live. Oh, it's great to have you with us. Uh, where are you? I'd be curious if uh, where, where, you, where you live. It reminds him of Solomon. Does it remind you of anything else? Uh, keep pondering that. If you get an idea, put it in the chat for us. So God says, yeah, you're afraid Ahaz, and the people are shaking. The people of your nation are shaking like trees being blown by a hurricane. Do not fear. It shall not happen. And he gives an interesting statement as to why. He says, for the head of Aram is Damascus. The head of Damascus is Rezin. And then he adds this, uh, this clarifying statement. Now, within 65 years, Ephraim will be shattered so that it's no longer a people. The head of Ephraim is Samaria, and the head of Samaria is the son of Ramalia. And then a parallel statement, if you will not believe, you shall surely not last. Bashir says, it reminds me of the words of our Lord from Matthew 12, 20. All right, uh, for all of those who are watching this, could you give us a little paraphrase, remind everybody of what Matthew 12, 20 says. So let me, uh, let me show you. So he's talking about Aram and Damascus and Ephraim and Samaria. Let me go back to the map here. So this is the king of Aram up here. You see northeast of Israel and Damascus is the capital city. So what the Lord is doing is reminding Ahaz of these are just men. Here's this kingdom. This, the capital is, is Damascus and their king is Ramalia. Okay. Israel is here. Its capital is Samaria. And the king there is Pekah. Now, these are parallel structures here. What is Ahaz supposed to do with this? 
Well, he's supposed to think about his own kingdom. You're the king of Judah. Capital of Judah is Jerusalem, the city of David, the city of the great king. I've got this. Let me tell you, I know who these two kings are. I know their capitals. I know where they come from. And I'm telling you, within a few years, they are going to be destroyed. Their plan against my people, my kingdom, my city of David will not stand. Now, you, Ahaz, you king of Judah, if you will not believe you shall surely not last either. And implied in that is, if you do believe, you will stand against these people. Bashir says, let me, uh, let me took here, a, a bruised reed shall not he break, and smoking flax shall he not quench. He will send forth judgment into victory. Got a follow-up comment. The New International Translate the passage, a bruised reed will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out till he leads justice to victory. Yeah, very good. He's, uh, he's going to take care of his people, right? He's not going to crush his people. What I was thinking of is uh, when Jesus said in John 14, do not let your heart be troubled. He's, he's, he's reminding his people, I'm going away. Remember, Jesus told his disciples, I'm going away. Don't fear. And here God is telling his people and his king, do not be afraid. I know there's, there looks to be reason to fear, but do not be afraid. So God says here to Ahaz, have faith. Believe. If you don't, you will not last. But if you do, is implied, then I will protect you from your enemies. Isn't that the constant reminder to God's people? Have faith. How many times did Jesus say to his, his disciples, Oh, ye of little faith. Oh, ye of little faith. If you have the faith of a mustard seed, right? You can tell this mountain to pick itself up and throw itself into the sea and, and it will do so. Believe. We've got the, the writer of Hebrews telling us all of these great examples of faith. Believe, believe. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. You have to trust God. And that's what God is calling Ahaz to do. And God so much wants Ahaz to trust him that he invites him to ask for a great sign. Look at this. Verse 10, the Lord spoke to Ahaz saying, ask for a sign for yourself from the Lord your God. Make it as deep as Sheol and as high as heaven. Think about that. God says, ask for as big a sign as you want all the way down to the grave, or as high as heaven. You want me to make the sun stand still like I did for Joshua? I'll do it. You want me to have the sun rise in the west and, and set in the east? I'll do it. Ask anything, Ahaz, any confirming sign to show you that I will protect you. Ask, and you shall receive. And suddenly, Ahaz gets religion. Suddenly Ahaz decides that he knows the word of God. Look how he responds. I will not ask, nor will I test the Lord. He's quoting from Deuteronomy here. Thou shalt not put the Lord your God to the test. Remember when Jesus is tempted by Satan? This is what he quotes. No, Satan, I will not 
submit to your instructions because that would be testing the Lord. And it is written, thou shalt not put the Lord your God to the test. Suddenly Ahaz gets all spiritual. Well, I told you about the background of Ahaz, right? He's a wicked king. He didn't submit to God. He didn't believe in God. He worshiped all kinds of idols. In fact, when the, uh, the enemies had come down on him earlier, he went and made a treaty with the king of Assyria. And he took from the treasuries of the house of God from the temple and sent this gold and silver to the king of Assyria saying, hey, will you protect me? He didn't trust the, God, the, the Lord of Israel to protect him. He trusted the king of Assyria to protect him. And of course, the king of Assyria proved to be uh, greedy and power hungry and said, yeah, sure, I'll make that treaty. And then eventually would conquer Israel or conquer Judah anyway. So Ahaz didn't trust the Lord. So when he says here, no, 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 far be it from me to ask for a sign because the scripture says, do not ask, do not test the Lord. No, no, far, far be it from me. He is not expressing faith and obedience to the word of God. He doesn't want a sign from God. He doesn't want God to protect him because he doesn't trust the Lord. He trusts in his alliance with Assyria. He trusts in his own ways. He trusts in, in human means. He doesn't trust God. Well, this makes... Isaiah go apoplectic. He is irate. Look what he says. Then he said, listen now, O house of David. This is Isaiah speaking. Is it too slight a thing for you to try the patience of men that now you will try the patience of my God as well? He can't believe it. God invites Ahaz to ask any sign as big as he wants and Ahaz won't do it. And Isaiah just says, who do you think you are? You test our patience as men constantly. And now you are putting God to the test because he's the one that said, ask for a sign and you won't do it. You wicked, stupid king. So that leads us to the great verse here, verse 14, which is what is quoted in Matthew 1. Now we need to understand from this point forward, Isaiah is no longer really concerned with Ahaz. From verse 14 through chapter 11, we're only going to look really at through chapter 9 tomorrow and the next day, but for the next four chapters, he is, again, sort of, it's like he's done with Ahaz. Uh, okay, I'm not worried about appeasing you. I'm not worried about pleasing you. I'm not worried about strengthening your faith. I'm done with you, Ahaz. I gave you the chance and you blew it. Now I'm going to give you the fuller picture. I'm going to give you the broader picture of what is coming on my people. Now, if you remember yesterday, if you were with us, I talked about how the, the prophets, they didn't know what they were predicting right? Remember that? Uh, we now know, and I, I use the illustration of uh, having a puzzle and the puzzle box where we can see the picture that we're trying to create with our puzzle pieces. Isaiah didn't have that. So when we read this prediction about the uh, virgin birth, 
we now understand its fulfillment. We see what it looks like. We have the whole box and the picture. We know this is Jesus. We know who Emmanuel is and what it means for us. But remember, we looked at Peter, who he said the the prophets, as they would foretell what was coming, the sufferings and the glories of Christ, they would they would predict these things, they would write them down, and then they would seek and inquire and try to figure out who and when and what the Spirit of Christ was revealing to them. The beginning of Isaiah, the first verses, let me, let me, I can show you. Let me pull this up here in uh, Isaiah chapter 1. This is how Isaiah chapter 1 begins. The vision of Isaiah, the son of Amos. See that? The vision. We often forget. God revealed much of his plan through actual visions and dreams. So Isaiah sees these things unfold, but he doesn't know exactly what he's seeing. And he's waiting for the Lord to reveal it to him. And he has to, he has to ponder and search and ask. Well, he, he doesn't know, but now we do. We understand how this is all playing out. So in verse 14, through the next couple of chapters or so, we're going to see that God is not really concerned with Ahaz. He's going to describe what he's going to bring about over the next 700 plus years. Isaiah gave this prediction in you know, 738, 736 BC, somewhere in there. And we know that Jesus is the fulfillment here of verse, uh, verse 14. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin will be with birth. We know that's the birth of Jesus. So for over the next seven centuries, Isaiah is going to explain that Israel is going to experience, or I should say Judah, is going to experience a very dark period. When this child is born, Israel is not going to be a thriving kingdom. Israel is going to be poor. Look at the next few verses here. He, Emmanuel, will eat curds and honey. Those are signs of poverty. When Emmanuel comes, he's not going to be inheriting a great kingdom. It's going to be poor. By the time he knows enough to refuse evil and choose good, that, that's talking about his youth. As he's a youth, he's going to be eating curds. That's spoiled milk. There's going to be so much milk that it's spoiled because there aren't enough people to take care of it, to, to consume it. All the animals are going to be wild and they're going to be producing milk, but there aren't going to be enough people to consume it. Don't confuse this with the land flowing with milk and honey. That's a sign of prosperity. This is a sign of poverty. For before the boy, Emmanuel, will know enough to refuse evil and good, the land whose two kings you dread will be forsaken. Ahaz, this son, this, this child is coming. Before that, these, the king of Israel and Aram, they're going to be destroyed. And look what he says. The Lord will bring on you, Ahaz, and on your people the kingdom of Judah, and on your father's house, that's the whole tribe of, Ju- of Judah, David's house and the, and the Ju- uh, Judahites, he will bring such days as have never come since the day that Ephraim separated from Judah 
So remember back that I talked about the, the, the division of the Northern Kingdom and Southern Kingdom. God's going to bring horrible things on the Southern Kingdom. And what is that horrible thing? What Ahaz was trusting in, the king of Assyria. And we know from history that Assyria does come and do a lot of harm to Judah. And then eventually there's even a bigger threat in 586, the final destruction of the temple in Jerusalem is Nebuchadnezzar and the king of Babylon. So this is what is happening. Now we know that after all this devastation comes, there will be a virgin who gets pregnant, not through human means. And she will bear a son and will call his name. God is with us. We have the full picture. Ahaz, even Isaiah, did not have the full picture. So as we celebrate this Christmas season, as we think about it, uh, as we ponder the fulfillment of these prophecies, uh, do you have questions? We've got a minute or two left. Do you have any questions or observations that you want to make as we wrap things up here? But as we, as we go through this week, think about this seven centuries the Jews had to wait for the, for the coming of this one. And, and sometimes we can grow rather weary as we look at our world and we think, you know, there seems to be some darkness. Um, uh, as, we, as we see just some hard things happening in our culture, it can be discouraging. And we think, oh, Jesus, come back. And why is he tarrying? And, and well, we don't know how long. He might, he might wait thousands of years. We're, we're not told when he's coming back. And we need to remember, though, all of his promises. He is building his kingdom, as we will see tomorrow uh, and the next day. He is, he is reigning and ruling, and there's great hope there. Uh, we have the full picture. Let us not despair. Let us not be discouraged. Um, our brother here says, pull it up for you to see it. Uh, what a tremendous teaching from Isaiah this morning. Thank you, Doug. I'm joining in from the great state of Ohio, by the way. Great to have you with, with us from there. Yeah, Isaiah is great. Now, he's called, uh, his book is called The Fifth Gospel by some because there's so much teaching here about Jesus and, uh, and the coming of our Lord. Uh, friends, there's great reason to rejoice here, great reason to hope we know who this Emmanuel is. And, and I hope you'll come back tomorrow and let's dig in further and see the, the looming gloom on the nation of Israel and then the promise of hope that God is going to come and conquer his enemies and bring that shining light. That's what we're waiting for. Or that's what they were waiting for. We already know the light. Martha here says a good lead into the nativity. Amen. Uh, as we celebrate this Christmas week. Well, folks, have a great day in the Lord. Be joyful. Our King has come. God is with us. And not only did he come in human form, but remember he left and sent us his spirit. And there's so much there. Uh, you're welcome, Karen. God bless everyone. We'll see you tomorrow.